It's a very interesting portion of Scripture that we have before us tonight. We find, and we'll read the text in just a minute, but let me just say this. We find that Jesus and the disciples make that crossing that we talked about last night, and they arrive at this place called the Gadarenes, the country of the Gadarenes, and immediately there meets him a man that had been dwelling in a graveyard. Now, I don't know if you've ever really thought about that. Listen, we travel and we're on the road, man, almost every week of the year, and we're in a different church. And and, uh, I've had a lot of times where people have told me, man, preacher, if you need a quiet place to sleep, just find a cemetery. I'm like, nah, not superstitious, don't believe in all that stuff, but I ain't parking in a cemetery. I'm sorry. I don't care how quiet it is. Somebody's liable to win a championship and scare me half to death. Amen? <laughs> Lord, I thought I was safe in Minster. Amen? And, and uh, <laughs> that's an inside joke for those of you who were here Saturday or Sunday. But, but you know, the fact of the matter is, nobody wants to live where dead people are. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody wants to spend a lot of time where dead people are. Amen? And can I say this? It's hard to get people to come to a dead church. Amen. I mean, listen, if there's some life, there's going to be some evidence. That's right. If there's some life, there's going to be some, there's going to be some, uh, uh, some things to indicate life. Amen? Yeah. There's, going to be, there's going to be some activity. There's going to be some, some vocal response. And so I want you to look at verse number one. When you found that, if you can, and physically able, let me ask you to join us by standing. Verse number one, Mark chapter five, the Bible said, and they came over under the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he'd been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. Make a mental note of that little phrase. We'll go back to that in the message, but that is not a new phenomenon. That's right. That's right. That's right. I run into young people occasionally, Chris, that, amen, got cut marks on their wrist. That's not a new phenomenon. Verse number eight, verse number six, and when he saw Jesus, Afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice, saying, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. And he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. I want to preach on this thought tonight. When a maniac met the master. I see several things here tonight. Well, let's pray. Father, we bow in your presence, and God, we ask this evening that God, as we come to this closing service of God, this scheduled revival, Lord, I know you're not bound by schedule. God, you didn't didn't show up just because we had something on the calendar on the 17th, and God, you're not going to leave just because the event we had on the calendar uh, ended on the 20th. Lord, you're not bound by any of that, Lord. And I pray that, God, even though this is the last night of this scheduled revival meeting, that, God, we would come to the 
stark conclusion that revival has really just begun. Amen. That God, you would evidence that in the lives of those in this room and the lives that the lives of those in this room will touch and, and God intersect with. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name that God, you'd give us some things tonight right here from this portion of your word that will help us in dealing with people that God, you bring across our path. Father, speak to us and give us what we need. Father, I pray that you'd bless the requests that have been mentioned, Lord, these that are sick, God, these that are dealing with, uh, God, what the world would call and what medical science would call terminal illnesses. Father, would you touch, and God, would you be the great physician to them? Lord, we need you to speak to us, and God, give us what we need tonight. And Lord, I'm not asking that you bless anybody else. I'm, I'm asking you'd speak to me. God, I'm not asking that you do it for anybody else. I'm asking you do for me tonight what you know I need. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that, God, you would meet with us now. And God, we make this prayer in the name of your darling Son and our wonderful Savior, that name of Jesus, and we wrap it in expectation. Amen. You can be seated. Mark 5, we're confronted with really three what the world would call hopeless cases. And I'm not going to take time to expound on these, but we find in what we have read, and, and even down through verse number 20, that's really where this story comes to its conclusion. We find a man that is possessed by demons, and then we find a woman after that that is possessed by a disease. And then we find a girl that is possessed by death. And can I say this? When the world looks at all three of those cases, they would label those cases as hopeless, amen? And they are hopeless until Jesus passes by. And can I say this? When Jesus passes by, amen, there are no hopeless cases. Right. When Jesus passes by, amen, demons flee. When yeah. Jesus passes by, amen, diseases are ended. When right. Jesus passes by, those that, amen, have been pronounced dead, amen, are brought back to life again. Now, listen, can I say that is exactly the same as our situation. We are hopeless in this life unless Jesus passes by. Amen. We're introduced to this man. The Bible said he had an unclean spirit. It's apparent from the text that everybody in Gadara had given up on him. I don't know if there's somebody like this in Minster, but in every community that I have ever lived in or pastored in, there's usually one individual that's just a little out there. Amen? And everybody kind of cuts them a wide berth, and, and moms tell their kids, don't make eye contact with them. Amen? And you hope not to engage them because you're not exactly sure what's going to happen if that's the case. I'm just saying every community's got somebody like this. Everybody kind of gives up on them. They're kind of pushed, amen, to the outskirts of society, as it were. People stare at them, amen. People whisper about them. People genuinely avoid them. But listen, ladies and gentlemen, this is interesting. Jesus <laughs> came seeking him. In fact, if you read the text tonight, you'll find that they make that trip that I talked about last night in the fourth chapter of Mark's gospel from verse number 35 down through verse number 41, and they encounter this man in verse number 1. The encounter ends in verse number 20, and as soon as the encounter ends, Sister Anita, they get right back in the same boat, cross the same body of water, and go right back where they came from. And that ought to tell us the price that Jesus is willing to pay 
to get the gospel to one man. Amen. See, we oftentimes look at things through an economic lens. Amen. We say, well, it just doesn't make good sense. You'd be hard-pressed to really make good sense of Jesus putting his disciples in a, amen, in a situation where their lives were hazarded. No, they weren't because Jesus was on board, but they weren't smart enough to figure that out. Amen. And he did all that to get to one man. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I got to thinking about that because the Bible tells us that this man that is possessed by demons has made his dwelling in the mountains and in the tombs. And I'm persuaded that it's not because that's where he wanted to live. I'm persuaded that that's the only place he had to live. Nobody else wanted him around. Nobody else was going to give him shelter. Nobody else was going to give him a place to lay his head. And so he wound up out there on his own doing the best he could. Ladies and gentlemen, can I remind you there are a lot of people in this world today and it's not because they're so wicked. It's because everybody's turned their back on them and they don't have anything else to do and they have no place else to go. And so they end up, listen to me now, I'm trying to help you. They end up gravitating to people that will accept them for what they are and then we in the church sit in here while we look at people out there and we convince ourselves we're better than them Mm. 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 God never called us into this thing so we could be the spiritual version of the Smithsonian (laughs) Amen. Amen. amen he didn't call us into this thing called the church so we could gather together and, and, and ooh and ah over how, amen, how good we're each, up, we're each of us are doing. He called us in here so that we could get some spiritual help and some spiritual sustenance yeah. so we could leave this place and carry the gospel out there yeah. where we work and where yeah. we live. Yeah. Listen, we've got to rethink this thing about ministry because we've almost gotten to the place yeah. where we think the mission field is some place that is beyond our shores. You might have a mission field in the walls of your own house. If you've got a lost son or a lost daughter or a lost mama or a lost daddy, can I say this? Your mission field is inside the walls of your address. You live in the midst of a mission field. Mm -hmm. Amen. You don't have to leave and go somewhere. And I'm not saying if God calls you that you ought not be willing to go. But the point I'm trying to make is you don't have to go some exotic place or some faraway place or some third world place to find a mission field. Listen to me, guys. We've got to quit thinking this way. I was asking Brother David where he worked. And I hope you don't mind me talking about this publicly. He said he worked for Cheeseman Transportation. Can I just say to David and everybody else in here that works a job, that's what pays your bills. But God's got you there for a bigger purpose. Amen. I was just thinking just the other day because somebody said something and it jogged something in my mind. Back years ago when, when, when Akron, Ohio was, the, was really the world producer of rubber and tires. There was a fella that was working. I wish I could remember his name. I, I can't think of his name now. Maybe it'll come to me. There was a fella that was working there at, at Firestone Tire and Rubber Company in Akron, Ohio. Just a lost, rough, 
foul-mouthed, crude man working on, a, working on a tire production line, Brother Jim, with the guy that was a Christian. And that Christian kept witnessing to him. Wasn't a jerk, amen, but just kept faithful life, consistent life, amen, prayer life, amen, and just kept witnessing to him. And that, that fellow, and I wish I could remember his name now, I keep hoping it'll come to me, and I don't want to grab my phone and Google search in front of God and everybody, but, <laughs> but I did the other day when I was in church because I was sitting there and the thought prompted me, and I didn't think about it until it just got up here, but that fellow got saved. He didn't just get saved. I mean, he got, he got gloriously saved. I mean, listen, he got all the way in. He felt he felt compelled to start a church that became the Akron Baptist Temple, one of the largest churches of the last couple of decades. Now, sadly, that church has gone the way of so many trying to chase numbers and everything else, but that wasn't how it was started. It was started because a man felt like, amen, it was started because somebody looked at their job not just as the means to make money and the definition of what they did with their life, but he saw that, amen, as a way to provide for his family and an opportunity to witness. And I wonder how many more folk, if, you, if you'd be a faithful worker and have a solid testimony, I wonder how many more folk could get saved in your workplace. Yeah. If you just open your mouth, I'm not talking about witnessing on the job and doing that when you're supposed to be, amen, working or producing parts or doing what, loading a truck or doing, but every one of us got a break. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Man, when I, was, when I was in Bible college, I didn't get to, I, Dave and I were talking, but I worked as a longshoreman, so I, I didn't just unload trucks, I unloaded ships. Man, that's a rough bunch of guys, you know. I mean, those kind of guys, they, they work hard, they play harder. I mean, they come in drunk the next morning, amen, or with a hangover, and you got to sober them up. I mean, our crane operator, they'd have to sober him up. He'd start, they'd start pumping him full of coffee at 5 o'clock so he didn't kill us when we started at 7. Because we're down in the hold of a ship. He's got two signalmen. He's got one, he's got one on the hold of the ship and one right there at the top of the hatch, amen, and he's got to follow what both those guys are telling him. Man, I, I didn't take breaks with those guys. I wasn't trying to be a jerk, but I didn't want to hear all their stories and about their conquests the night before and all those kind of, amen, filthy things. And so I found a place to take my break by myself. And Steve, I can't tell you how many times one of those guys, when, amen, they knew their buddies weren't watching, would come over. They all called me Deacon. And they said, uh, hey, Deacon, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. And Brother Chris, they'd tell me a story of how their family's falling apart and their marriage is on the rocks. And they'd say this, just wondering if you could pray for me. They wouldn't do that in the presence of all their buddies. Amen. I mean, they'd, they'd talk smack and do all the things, Andrew, that everybody else does when they're working with their buddies, but they'd find me. And I wonder how many more people we could have an influence on if we'd just be a Christian 24 hours a day, seven days a week wherever we're at amen i get to i got to thinking about this because if this story was cast in our day the bible doesn't give us any insight into his formative years but but i think if it was cast in in modern day circumstances he was probably 
<clears throat> the result of circumstances over which he may have had no control. May have been born to a father that abandoned the family. May have had a mom that was controlled by, by addiction. He probably wasn't a good student because he was probably the class clown and got kicked out of class. And so the principal sees him out in the hallway, said, not you again, suspends him for three days. Amen. He goes home and he, and he drops out of school eventually and begins to try to find himself and with no good influence because he doesn't look like the church folk. And he doesn't talk like the church folk, and so we ain't going pick to pick him up on a bus and bring him. Amen. He begins to gravitate toward people like him. And that downward trend continues until he's opened himself up to the point that these demonic forces totally dominate his life. That's where we're introduced to him. Now, what we don't know, but I think we can derive from Scripture... He's up in the mountains and up in the tombs. That's his dwelling place, Chris. Right before Jesus and the disciples begin to get there to the shore of Gadara, they're in this storm that I preached about last night. Now, I don't know this, Sister Lively, but I just in my mind picture this guy up in a mountain washing the sea. Watching this storm, he immediately, upon Jesus getting there, realizes who he's dealing with. He, he comes and calls him. He, he calls him the Son of God, so he recognizes Chris, who he is. And I, I kind of, in my mind's eye, picture that maybe even when he was up on the mountain, he could sense who he was. And there might have been a wry smile on his face, thinking that that ship was going to go under. Then all of a sudden, he saw something that he'd never seen before. <laughs> he saw a man get up from the back of the boat, step to the front of the boat, and then all of a sudden, the wind ceases, and the waves lay down, and there's a great calm. I got to thinking about this. I got to thinking, maybe his thought was, preacher, that if God can calm the storm, the Son of God can calm the storm down there, Maybe the Son of God can calm the storm in here. And so he comes, and we find this encounter that is recorded for us in Mark's Gospel, the fifth chapter. Let me just give you quick, three quick things or four quick things tonight that I believe will help us because, ladies and gentlemen, if we are going to be effective in dealing with people, it would behoove us, it would be very wise of us, Amen. To look at how Jesus did things and maybe to the best of our ability follow his example. Let me say number one. Christ went to his location. Amen. See, we've gotten to the place now where we stick a sign out. We throw something up on Facebook. Amen. We take some form of advertising out and then that... Uh, somehow in our mind looses us from our responsibility to carry the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, can I say this? There are more people. Let me, let me just ask this question. How many of you tonight, be honest, those of us that have trusted Christ as our Savior, how many of you trusted Christ as your Savior somewhere else other than church? Raise your hand. <laughs> That's the majority of the crowd. The church was a by. Church happened after you got saved, but church wasn't 
wasn't, amen, the, the, the means. God used the church and somebody from the church, but it didn't happen in a church. You know where it happened? Yes. Happened where you were. <laughs> happened where you and that person that talked to you about the Lord or, amen, you and however God got you the gospel, it happened in that location. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus had been teaching in Capernaum. We saw that last night in Mark's gospel, the fourth chapter. They sail that sea, amen. He, he, they encounter this man, and the Bible, the Bible tells us, amen, this man comes to Jesus, amen. This demon-possessed man, amen, comes to where Jesus has landed because Jesus has made a trip all the way across that sea through a storm to get to one man. Man, I'm glad he came to where I was one day. Amen. The Bible said in 1 Timothy chapter, five, chapter 1 and verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. Well, I'm glad he came to where I was. He came into this world, but he didn't just come to this world. He came to my world. <laughs> and he didn't just come to my world, but he came to my home. And he didn't just come to my home, but he came to my life. Man, I tried to live better. I tried to get victory over some things. I tried to pull myself up by my own bootstraps, as it were. I, but listen, I'm glad he came to my location. I'm glad he came where I was. I remember one time when I was here under another pastor. Y'all were having, I think it was when I was traveling with the tour group, and they got that big party thing out there in the Boulevard area, Minster. What is that thing called? Oktoberfest. I should have known better. Amen. And, and I mean, and I remember us going down there and all kind of, if you live here any length of time, Matt, you know what goes on down there. But that's where sinners are. Ding, 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 ding. Amen. You want to find a large collection of sinners? Amen. That's a pretty good place to find them. Amen. And we went down there and started handing out gospel tracts and Amen. Started witnessing to people. They weren't all that thrilled about us being there. But that doesn't change the fact that we have no idea what the impact of that is. We're not, we're not charged with what the impact is going to be. We're charged with the obedience of going. Amen. And see, that's why, that's why somebody goes to the mission field is because, because there are people there that are lost without Christ. And so they go, and they know they're going to have to deal with things. They know they're going to have to deal with cultural differences and, amen, differences of doing things. But they go, amen, because of a bigger, because of a bigger purpose, and that is they need the gospel, and they're willing to do what needs to be done. If it means leaving their family, if it means leaving their homeland, they're willing to do what needs to be done to get people the gospel. So let me ask you a question tonight. Who do you know that needs the Lord? I mean, I'm, not, I'm talking about right now, I'm talking about somebody that you know in your family, in your circle of friends right now that needs the Lord. Where are they at tonight? You know what some of you did? Some of you left them at your house on the chair or in, on the sofa with a remote in their hand. Some of you left them at the school today. Some of you left them at the workplace. But ladies and gentlemen, can I say this? All you have to do is tell them what Christ has done for you. Amen? 
Listen, it's not my story that's going to get anybody saved, but it's what Christ can do for an individual. Let me quickly say this. Look at verse number 9, and this is where I left off reading, but look at verse number 9. The Bible said, and he asked him, what is thy name? Now, now look up in here just a minute. Would you agree with me that he did not ask him what his name was because he did not know? He knows everything, Connie. You don't need to ask this guy what his name is. He created this guy. He knows what this guy's name is. Listen, he didn't have to ask him his name any more than he had to ask Adam, where art thou? You ever thought about that? Why did he ask Adam? Adam's Adam's doing his best, Chris, to hide, amen, from God because he sinned. And and God comes in to cool the garden and knows full well what's going on. And he says, Adam, Adam, where art thou? It ain't because he doesn't know where he's at. He said, well, what, why is he, why is he asking? Because he wants Adam to know where he's at. He wants Adam to know he's hiding from the only one that can help him. He wants Adam to realize that he has run from the only one that can remedy the situation that Adam's found himself in, okay? So you say, well, Brother Phil, why in the world did Jesus say, what is thy name? And I believe the answer is because he wanted to see how this man saw himself. So I want you to notice what this man answers. He said, my name is Legion. Can I just say this? That ain't a name, Mike. Legion's not a name. Legion's a number. In fact, in the Roman military system, a legion is somewhere between three and 4,000 men. That's what a legion is. He says, my name is Legion, for we are many. So when Jesus asks him his name, he responds with a number. You ever ask the Lord to explain something to you that he's written? By the way, if you know him, he's the author. And if you don't understand something, the best thing to do, if you know the author of a book, or the author of an article, and you don't understand what they've written, Anita, the best thing to do is not to try to figure it out, but contact the author. <laughs> Amen. And so I asked the Lord, Chris, I said, why in the world is it that here in Mark chapter 5, verse number 9, Jesus asks this man his name, and he responds with a number. And the Lord took me back immediately to where I pastored in central Missouri. We had five major penitentiaries in our area. The Missouri State Penitentiary, which was the first penitentiary west of the Mississippi River, was known as the bloodiest 49 acres in America. More blood was shed in the Missouri State Penitentiary back in the day than in any other 49 acres in the entire country. We had, we had two women's prisons there. We had several other. We had five prisons in that, in that central Missouri area. I've made a lot of visits in prisons. I've, I've, I've gone cell to cell. I've sat with inmates in visitation rooms. <laughs> and all of a sudden it dawned on me. When you're incarcerated, your name's been replaced with a number. <laughs> Jesus asked <laughs> Jesus asked this man his name, yeah. and he gives him a number. You see, ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly what sin does to you. 
Sin incarcerates you. Sin enslaves you. It, amen. It takes all your dignity. Somebody say amen. Hey, it takes all your dignity away from you. Hey, you ever, you ever see these people? They get started on something, amen, you know, kind of sort of light like marijuana, and then that doesn't feel the need anymore, and then they move to something heavier, and then pretty soon they've lost all their money. See, they've spent everything they got, so now they're trying to do synthesized drugs, and they're, amen, they're doing meth and cooking meth, and all of a sudden they got all kind of sores all over their face and sores all over their body. They lose their teeth. I'm just telling you, ladies and gentlemen, what happens is they lose their dignity. Sin will cause you to lose your dignity. Christ dealt with not only his, Christ didn't, also, didn't only go to his location, but let me say he went to his identification, or he dealt with his identification. You see, the fact of the matter is, how you see yourself today is important. Amen? And a lot of times we see ourselves as, amen, the world will say, well, you know, they're an alcoholic, or they're a drug addict, or Amen, they're this, or they're that, or they're unworthy, or they're dirty, or they're defeated. And, you know, we'll try to shake those things off, but the best thing you can do is run to Christ. Look at verse number 6. The Bible said, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. And cried with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. You see, the best thing for us to do is not let the world define us or not let our behavior define us, but let Christ define us. And I'm here to say to you tonight, I'm not who I was. <laughs> Amen? I'm, no, I'm altogether different individual than I was before the Lord saved me, before I found the Lord. It doesn't matter what you are currently. Amen. God's not, God's not one bit concerned about what you are. I've preached behind this pulpit dozens of times in the years gone by, and those of you that have heard me have heard me say this more than one time. God is not up in heaven eating Rolades and drinking Maalots trying to figure out how he's going to deal with your problem. Amen. He is not. He's not up there nervous. He had, he's not having to take nerve pills because he's trying to figure out how he's going to deal with you. I'm telling you, he's got it all figured out. And if you'll just come to him and lay it all at his feet, I'm just telling you, he will deal with your identification. Let me give you the third thing really quick. And this is interesting. Verse number five. The Bible says, And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. At first glance, it appears like we got a man who's suicidal. First glance, we got a man that looks like he's trying to perform some sort of self-mutilation, Sister Howell. But I don't think that's what it is. See, when you study the Bible, there are some principles of hermeneutics that are important to keep in focus when you study. One of those talks about first mention. And typically the way a phrase or a word is used the first time in your Bible is indicative of how it is going to be used through the entirety of God's Word. So you have to go back to the first time flesh was cut with a stone. <laughs> and that's Exodus chapter 4. I'm not going to take time to have you turn there, just mark it down. 
and study it out later. But the first time flesh was cut with a stone involved circumcision. Now, I know we're in a mixed crowd, and I'm not going to get graphic, but you understand it was the cutting off of flesh. It was a cleansing ritual. Amen? So I got to thinking about this. First of all, you see him running in and out of the tombs. Amen? There's never any rest for him, and the devil never lets you rest. Amen? But then, then we find him cutting himself with stones, and all of a sudden, Chris, it dawned on me, maybe what he's trying to do is clean himself. Well, we sure are masters at that, aren't we? We figure out what will make us look good to the church and what will make us look good to the brethren and what will make us look good to the pastor. And so we do all that in an effort to clean ourselves. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the problem with cleaning yourself. Amen. Somebody will always have a higher position or a higher standard than you, and that's a never-ending battle to try to get there and try to maintain. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't clean yourself because you didn't make yourself. You can't fix yourself, amen, because you didn't create you. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, the 11th chapter and the 28th verse, he said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, there's no satisfaction in self-righteousness because there's always another standard. Amen. We spend some time, amen, toward the middle of the summer, and sometimes even to the beginning of fall, when we get back in the Indiana area, we get around a pretty large Amish community. Boy, you look at those Amish folk, and they look really holy. Amen? Yeah. They don't have all the modern conveniences. and Amen? They don't have all the entrapments we have. Boy, they look like they're... And I'm not trying to bust on them. There's, you know, there's some... Uh, Intrigued with that whole thing. Not that I'm ever going to be Amish. Amen. But you know, I, 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 we were up there a couple of years ago. We were actually in Shipshawana. And somebody had taken us to the big flea market up in there and then taken us to this big cheese place up in Shipshawana. And all of a sudden, I was noticing, Chris, that about every half a mile or so, you know, the Amish houses are set way back off the road. There's no wires running to them. You drive there after dark, you know, there's no lights on. It's funny, you know, when, when a cartoonist is, or, or, or somebody's, you know, trying to convey the idea that somebody's got an idea, a light bulb goes off over their head. And if it's an Amish man, it's a candle. <laughs> amen. But I noticed about every half a mile or so, amen, although their houses are way off the road, there's this little, looks like a, I don't know, looks like a little shed out by the road. And uh, I noticed there's wires around that shed. And so I asked the fellow I was with, Jim, I said, so what's, what's that right there? So I said, telephone. I said, for who? He said, for probably five or six families on this road. I'm like, do what? He said, oh, yeah, they won't have one in their house. But they have one out by the road. And I thought, man, they had to have gotten that idea from us. Amen. Yeah. I mean, a lot of things we, amen, we, we, you know, we, we, we we'll rename things. Yeah. We're on television. I got a monitor. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I'm just saying, listen, the fact of the matter is, you, listen, every, somebody's always going to have a higher, listen, the end of the day is I'm not supposed to measure myself by Jim. And Jim ain't supposed to measure himself by Phil. That's right. 
The bottom line is, at the end of the day, Chris, I'm going to be measured by Christ. That's right. Amen? Yeah. I'm, I'm, to be, I'm to be allowing him to conform me to his image. There you go. Come on, brother. Christ went to his location. Christ dealt with his identification. Yeah. Christ helped him with sanctification. <laughs> Can I just say this? The same grace that saves you is the same grace that sanctifies you. You know what you had to do to get saved? Come to Christ. Say, I can't. Need your help. If you'll save me, I'll give you my life. You got a stubborn habit you've tried to lick for a long time? And you keep trying, and you keep trying, and every time, every time somebody preaches on it, you come to an altar, and, and you make another commitment, and then, amen, then you go back, and, and, and then you get disappointed, and you fall right back into that same thing, because that's your default mechanism. Yeah. Amen. How about coming to Christ tonight? I'm not talking about getting saved, unless that's the need. But how about saying, Lord, I, 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 I can't win this battle. I've tried. You know I have tried. I can't get victory. Lord, I'm going to give it to you. I want to ask you to help me with this. Now, can I say this? If you're going to do that, then go home and make no provision for the flesh. There you go. Amen? Yes. I mean, listen. I know, I know men and women who had a problem with alcohol. They have struggled with that. That has been every time they have a defeat, every time they have a disappointment, that's the solace they find. That's the thing they go back to. And they've tried to beat it. I'm talking about people in church, amen. I mean, just as saved as you and I in church, love God, just can't seem to beat that thing. And they finally give it to the Lord. And you know what they end up going home and doing? Pouring all that down the toilet, pouring all that down the drain. Amen. Don't give it to your neighbor. That's kind of dumb. Well, I got a lot of money invested in it. Okay, so just take your lumps and admit you were stupid. That's what we all got to do. Amen? So I don't like you talking that blunt, that, that blunt to me that way. I'm, listen, I've, I've been there. It's just dumb and it's stupid. And we spend all that money. And by the way, when you do that, you're not, not, not going to be as want to go back and spend all that money again. Amen? I'm just saying, Christ will help you with sanctification. He can set you free. Stop trying and start trusting. Mm. Let me give you the last thing. This, is, this, this to me is one of the most precious. No, no, here, notice this. Let me read verse 10 and, and down through. So he besought him much that he'd not send him away out of the country. There were a great herd of, uh, uh, there was nigh into the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, but the unclean spirits went out, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran down violently, uh, ran violently down a steep place into the sea, for there were about 2,000, and they were choked in the sea. Can I just say this? That's what the devil's trying to do. This man just had enough sense to not kill himself. But you get in an animal that doesn't have sense. That's exactly what the devil did. And that's what he's trying to do to people. Amen? Look at verse 14. And they that fed the swine 
fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what was done. Verse 15, they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Now look, look up in here just a minute. His, his behavior has changed. His appearance has changed. His, his speech has changed. He's seated. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. Now, now, by the way, apparently they weren't afraid of him before this. Right? Apparently he was just the, you know, he was just the, you know, the town idiot. Look what the Bible said. They see him sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. That's hysterical to me. Why in the world? Listen, he's not a threat anymore. He's not scaring little kids anymore. Parents aren't having to say, don't look at him anymore. But they look at him and say, stay away from him. <laughs> you see, it's interesting. When you really get a relationship with Christ, it changes you and makes people nervous. He's not out hollering at the top of his lungs, hey, come to Jesus. No, he's sitting. He ain't naked anymore. He's got clothes on. This is a good thing. Amen. And he's in his right mind. He's not talking nonsense anymore. And it scares everybody. And they that saw it told him how it befell him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. Look at verse 17. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. They didn't want him around no more. They didn't mind when he was acting a fool and scaring everybody, and, and they just had kind of gotten used to that. But now, Connie, that there's been a change in his life, they don't want him around no more. Verse 18. And when he was, when he was come to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. That, to me, is a touching thing because he realizes all these people that he's known all his life don't want him around. And so he says, well, Lord, can I just go with you? Can I just be where you are? Can I just stay with you? Verse 19, Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord had done for thee and had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish. That didn't mean he started a newspaper. Okay? He began to tell everybody he saw, everybody he came in contact with was going to hear. Because they're going to, listen, everybody he comes in contact with, now Steve's going to ask him, what happened to you? And he's got a story to tell. He's got some hope to give. Amen? He's got, he's got the answer to the meaning of life. He's got the answer, amen, to how a man can go from being naked and living in the mountains and in the tombs to now, amen, having thoughts that make sense and being able to control himself and, and, being, and having clothes on. And he's got a story to tell. Let me say, not only did Christ go to his location, not only did he deal with his identification, not only did he help with sanctification, but number four, Christ changed his habitation. He said, go home and tell them how great things the Lord has done for thee and had compassion on thee. 
And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things the Lord had done for him, and all men did marvel. You see, there's nobody here tonight that knows me before I was saved. But I didn't always look like the preacher that stands before you tonight. So I've got what I call a used-to-be story. Amen? And uh, if you're here tonight and you don't have a used-to-be story, it's because you're probably still being what you used to be. So if you're here tonight and there's never been a change in your life, it's probably because you've never really come to Christ and said, Lord, here it is. Here's my life. I need you to save me. You see, Christ changed my life. Changed my whole life. Chris, he changed my family. I'd not be in church on a Wednesday night in Minster, Ohio, if it hadn't been that I met the Lord. I'd not be married to that gal in the front row that I've been married to for 37 years. And God's blessed our home with five kids and seven grandkids if it had not been that I'd met the Lord. I mean, God's been good to me. I've got no complaints tonight. I want to ask you tonight as we bow our head and close our eyes and